open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts again, the 10th, the 11th chapter where we're going to be this morning, page 919. In chapter 10 of Acts, Peter has an experience, and then in chapter 11, he tells the experience almost verbatim, what we just experienced. So this morning, we're going to read chapter 11, where Peter is retelling what happened in chapter 10. It's a little bit shorter, but it gives us the idea of what's going on. So begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. Luke records for us, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began to explain to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheep descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction, because they were Gentiles. These six brothers who were with me today also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to those Gentiles as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. As we've been going through the book of Acts, through this series, we've seen how the gospel has spread. It goes further and further outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. God is fulfilling his promise that the gospel will be spread to the ends of the earth. In this text today, we see an obstacle to the spread of the gospel. We've seen several obstacles along the way 
as well. This, though, that we see today is the biggest hurdle that the gospel has ever had to get over. If the gospel doesn't get over this barrier, if it doesn't get over this hurdle, then those of us sitting here today would not be saved. What is the hurdle that I'm talking about? It's the hurdle of the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Christianity began among the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. The early Christians were Jews. It wasn't until the book of Acts that we see the gospel begin to spread among Gentiles. What are Gentiles? Who are Gentiles? Very simply, Gentiles are anybody who's not a Jew. That's the way it works. As far as the Jewish understanding from the Old Testament goes, there are only two groups of people. Jews and non-Jews. Non-Jews are Gentiles. So what we see in this story is now the gospel going to that group outside the Jews, the Gentiles. Follow along and see how this story plays out. Luke begins chapter 10 by just announcing this guy, Cornelius. Cornelius is simply introduced as a soldier, a centurion, but we're told that he's a God-fearer. And that's a specific term that means somebody, and I'm not trying to be funny here, who feared God. Feared God in the sense that they were trying to be obedient to what they understood. They hadn't become full Jews yet, but they at least believed in the God of Judaism. And what we're told is, this guy was a God-fearer, he prayed continually to the God of the Old Testament, and he also gave alms, he helped poor people. What we're not told about this Cornelius guy is that he's a Christian. And very simply is because he's not yet. He's a God-fearer. He has some knowledge, some understanding, some belief in the God of the Old Testament, but he doesn't know about Jesus yet. In verse 3 of chapter 10, we're told that an angel came to him and told him to send for the apostle Peter. What's going on here? Why was he directed to go get Peter? The reason why God directed him to go get Peter is because he had gone as far as he could go with what he understood. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch a few weeks ago? That guy that was reading his Bible one day and Philip came up and he says, Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? He's like, I don't. How can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? That's what's going on here. Just as the Ethiopian eunuch needed help to go to the next level, so did Cornelius. So God is working not only through Philip to get the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, now he's working through Peter to get the gospel to Cornelius, this Gentile. In both these stories, we see something important, though, that we see in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that God rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6, God rewards those people who seek Him. But preacher, you've told us before that nobody seeks God. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks God. Well, if nobody seeks God, how can God bless, how can God reward those who are seeking Him if nobody does it? That's one of those paradoxes in the Bible that we have to unfold. We've got to unpack it for just a moment. Jesus gives us the key to understand this problem of do we seek God or don't we? Jesus said in John's Gospel in the 6th chapter, He says, no one comes to God unless God draws them. How does that all fit together? None of us on our own seeks God. We don't. But God begins to draw us to Himself and gives us a desire inside to where we do want to seek Him. Not on our own, but because He gives us that desire. And as God begins to draw people, those who are faithful to that and allow that to cause them to seek God, God blesses. But what do we know? We know that God draws some people, God woos some people, and they just ignore Him. Not everyone that God works on, not everyone that God draws, comes to Him. And you're here today because God began a work in you and began drawing you to Himself. There's something inside of you that gave you that desire to know more about God and to seek Him. Well, that's what we see in Cornelius. He was praying to a God that he didn't fully understand. He was doing good. He was giving alms. He was helping poor people because he knew enough about this God of the Old Testament to know that God cared about poor people and He wants us to help poor people. He was doing this stuff because God had begun a work in his heart. But this is important. This is critical. Cornelius was being obedient at the level where he was. He didn't understand everything. He didn't know everything. But what he did know, he wanted to be faithful to. He wanted to be obedient to that. He didn't say, well, I don't know everything about God, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to wait until I know more about God before I start doing what I know God wants me to do. He didn't do that. Some people today act like they can't do anything for God until they know everything about what God wants. That's not the way it works. God doesn't expect us to be faithful with what we don't know. God expects us to be faithful with what we do know. But it's interesting, these people who don't know everything, who won't do anything, they often sit back and do nothing to find out more about what God wants. This has always amazed me about people who claim to be agnostics. Not atheists. Atheists are those people who believe there is no God. And they'll just tell you flat out, there is no God. Agnostics, though, are people who say, we don't know. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. We just don't know. Whenever I meet someone who claims to be an agnostic, I always try to ask them this question. What are you doing to find out? Because I appreciate someone being honest 
and saying, I don't know if there's a God or not. I appreciate that honesty. But then it begs the question, what are you doing to find out if there is a God or not? Stick with me. If there is a God, and we believe there is, the agnostic says, I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Well, buddy, what are you going to say to God when you stand before Him someday? Did you believe in me? Well, I didn't know if you existed or not. And God's going to say, and just exactly what did you do to find out if I existed or not? This is so important to you that you do nothing. Are you with me? God rewards people who look for Him, that seek Him, even when they don't know exactly what they're looking for. But God rewards that effort. And when you get to the the limits of what you know, God will give you more information. And that's what we see in this story today. God rewards those who seek Him. Never stop seeking God. Oh, but preacher, you, you, I found God. I found God through Jesus Christ. How many of you believe you found life in Jesus Christ and you know God today? Amen? We do. But you don't know everything about God. Even though you know God, you don't know God's will, you don't know God as well as you should. Never stop seeking God. Because there's always more to learn about Him. And the more we learn about God, the more we can be obedient to Him, the more we can serve Him, but also the more that we can love and worship Him. Because we know who He is, we can become like Him as we seek Him and learn more about Him. We don't seek to find God because we haven't found Him. We seek to find more about Him because we have found Him. And we want to know more. This past Wednesday night, some of our Pathway guys came to the Wednesday night Bible study. And you may not know this, but our Wednesday night Bible study is not a required meeting for our Pathway guys. And several of the guys came to the Bible study even though it wasn't required. And I made a point to go out to them and say, good for you. You're not here because you're required to be here. You're here because you want to be here. And you're seeking God on your own. And I said, God is going to bless that in your life because of what you're doing. Okay, so so far we've seen this Cornelius guy who believes in God, but he doesn't know everything about God, but he's reached the limit of what he understands. And God has said, now go get Peter. Send some men to, told him what house to go to. Said, here, go there and get Peter. He can help you. Cornelius needs the gospel. Peter has the gospel. We are good to go, right? Nope. Because just as God had to work in Cornelius' life, God now has to work in Peter's life. Because Cornelius is a Gentile. And unfortunately, I don't want to say that the Jews at that time had a go-to-hell attitude, but basically their attitude was, go to hell. Well, not really. You could come to God, but you had to become a Jew first. So Gentiles could go through a conversion process and become a practicing Jew. But if you weren't willing to do with that, 
to do that, then you're not our problem. And so Peter had this mentality, I'm a Jew, I am following the laws of God, I am good to go, I believe in Jesus Christ, problem solved. Except God had told them, Jesus told them, that the gospel was to go to the end of the earth. And you know who's on the other end of the earth? Gentiles. Not Jews. If the gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth, it was going to have to go to Gentiles. And so God gives Peter this experience, this vision, where the sheep comes down from heaven with all these unclean animals. And Peter was hungry. You know how it goes when, when something's on your mind or when you're, you start dreaming about those things? Well, he went, he, he fell asleep hungry, and so he starts dreaming about food. Been there? Done that? Okay? He's dreaming about food, and the sheep comes down, and he hears a voice from heaven saying, Eat! Because in that sheep, there were animals. Peter, rise, kill, eat! He looked and he says, Yeah, but those are unclean animals. Those are creatures that we as Jews have been forbidden to eat. No, 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 Lord, I, I would never do that. You don't want us to eat that unclean food, so I won't do it. And three times the image is repeated in his mind, and three times he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not supposed to eat that stuff. And then there's a knock at the door. It's Gentiles who've come. And they said, yeah, God told us to come to this house for this man. And who's in that house? Peter. And Peter's like, oh, I think God's talking to me. I think God is telling me that I'm supposed to go to Gentiles. And that vision about unclean animals was really about unclean Gentiles. The voice from heaven said, don't you call unclean what God has made clean. And that command of God for the, Gentile, for the Jews to remain separate from the Gentiles was so that they could remain pure until Jesus was born. But now that Jesus has come, now that the Messiah has been born and has died, that restriction has been lifted. Now get out there in the world is what God is saying. And Peter, he's like, oh, now I get it. And he goes with them and he begins to share the gospel because the Gentiles in this house did not know the gospel. They believed in the God of the Old Testament, but they didn't know about Jesus. So he shares with them Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls. Just like it fell in Acts chapter 2 with the Jews. And Peter's like, okay, Lord, I think I get it. What you did with the Jews, you are now doing with the Gentiles. Now, as we look at this story, there are some things that I want you to notice that are really cool. Number one, out of this story... We ought to worship God. Can you see the hand of God in this story? The hand of God as he's leading Cornelius. Faith in Jesus. And Cornelius gets this, this angel comes to him and says, you need to go find Peter. He didn't say go down to First Baptist Church and so and so. He said go to this house and find this man. That's pretty specific, isn't it? You know how that happens? God. 
and God is directing his steps to get him to the point where he can hear about Jesus. Because he was being faithful to the light that God had already given him, and God says, you know what, I'm going to give you more light. I'm going to give you more understanding. And as soon as God turns on more light and gives you more understanding, he believes that too. We can worship God because God is orchestrating the steps of this man. God gave him the desire to seek him. Let's look at your life. Why are you here today? Why do you even care about what I call the God stuff? You know why? Because God has given you a heart to care about the God. God has given you a heart to seek Him. You didn't do that. Not. And if God had not given you that heart, you'd be home mowing your grass today. You'd be doing something else. The fact that you're here is because God is working in your life bringing you to that point. But not only can we see God tugging at our hearts, drawing us to Himself, most of us can point to people in our lives that God used to get the Gospel to us. Specific people that God positioned in our life at just that right time to tell us about Jesus. Just like God positioned Peter in Cornelius' life. God draws us to Himself and then He puts people in our lives to help us find Christ. We want to worship God today because if it wasn't for God helping us find Christ, we'd never find Him. If God didn't give us a desire for more, even if we saw Christ, we wouldn't want Him. God gets the glory all the way around. When we see God at work like this, we want to raise our voices in worship because God is doing something good. About a month or so ago, Daryl and I decided to go out to lunch one day. And so I, I like Cordoba over here on Masonic. I go there every chance I get. I'm like, oh, we'll just swing over there. We'll go to Cordoba. And as we're going up, up Gratiot toward Cordova, I see Arby's. I like Arby's too. Not as much as Cordova, but I like Arby's. And something just said, go into Arby's. I was thinking it was because I thought Arby's would be quicker and I wouldn't have to spend as much time with Daryl. Let's just pull into the Arby's. As we're sitting there eating, a man walks up. I'm not making this up. A man walked up to us. He looked at me and said, are you a pastor? And then it dawned on me, he can probably see the halo over my head. He can just sense how righteous I am. And then he mentioned that he saw my license plate that says Pastor W on it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he started sharing with me that he needed to talk. He needed some spiritual advice. He needed to talk to somebody. I gave him my card. I said, give me a call. 
He never called. Okay, whatever. This past week, I got a phone call. Do you remember me? I, I'm the man that met you at Harvest the one day. I said, yeah, I remember. He said, we need to sit down and talk. And so I've got an appointment to see him this Wednesday so we can sit and talk. All I was doing was going out to lunch with Daryl, and something prompted me to pull into Arby's. Did I know that that was God? I wasn't thinking God, I'm thinking Reuben Sandwich. But God was directing my steps so I could be at precisely that place so that guy could see my license plate and talk to me. God is at work around us, directing our steps, prompting us to do things, and we don't always even realize what's going on. But we are to be faithful, we are to be obedient as God gives us that opportunity. And as I'm wiping Reuben off my chin, talking to this guy, it's a God moment. Because he's seeking something. I don't know what. But I happen to believe that it wasn't Satan prompting me to go to Arby's. It wasn't Satan that prompted him to come and talk to me. It was God. And in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, we see that same kind of movement as God brings these two men together. And I'm telling you, God wants to move you too into the lives of people around you so that you can tell them about Christ. Worship the God that moves us for His glory, for His kingdom. But the second thing we see in this story is opposition. Word gets out that Peter went and had dinner with some Gentiles. <gasps> he did what? A Jew eating with some Gentiles? Those unclean people? Really? Listen, whenever God begins to prompt you to move you to take the gospel to different people, count on somebody having a problem with it. Always. There's always those people who feel like they've got to stick their nose in your business. Why did you talk? Why are you associating with that person? These people that had a problem with what Peter did were very strict in their Jewish observance. They were Christians, but they really felt strongly that even though they were Christians, they still needed to observe all the old rules of the Old Testament. They didn't have a problem with Gentiles Becoming Jews. They had a problem with Jews associating with them before they did. So they gave Peter what for? Peter defends himself and he tells the full story. This is what happened. This is what I was doing. This is what Cornelius is doing. I preached the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit fell. Look at verse 17 in Acts chapter 11. 
Here's Peter's summation after he tells them the whole story of what happened. He said in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them, the gift of the Holy Spirit, if He gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who am I to say, God, you can't do that? I love what Peter's doing here. Did you notice? They had a problem with what Peter was doing. They didn't have a problem with God. They had a problem with Peter. Peter, you should have done that. And Peter just backs up and says, hey, if you got a problem with anybody, take it to God. Because he's the one that did it, not me. He's like, what was I supposed to do when the Holy Spirit fell? Was I supposed to run and stop? Don't be going on the Gentiles. He says, who am I to stand in God's way of what God is doing? And what he does, we're told in, in the next verse that the people were silent. You know why? Because they had that awkward moment where they realized, oops, evidently we're trying to stand in the way of God in what God was doing. And they had no comeback. If God did this, then God must be okay with it. God was showing that He accepted these Gentiles who came to faith in Christ the same way He accepted Jews who came to faith in Christ. God was doing something outside of their expectation. But the Jewish Christians were still struggling. Should we accept them? Should we allow them to come into the church? Peter's logic is simple, but it's persuasive. Get out of the way because God is doing something here. And if God wants them in, then we ought to want them in here too. If God gives them the Holy Spirit, then it's not our place to get in the way. The third thing we see in this text, not just that we should worship God, not just that we will face opposition as we reach out to others in the name of Jesus, but the third thing we see has to do with breaking down barriers. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the gospel as it bumps up against barrier after barrier after barrier. Early on, remember the first barrier that the, the gospel faced was the language barrier. There were all these people in Jerusalem because of the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit falls and gives them the ability to witness to people in their own language. Remember? The language barrier is destroyed as God gives them the ability to speak. Then we see the geographical barrier because the Christians were staying in Judea. They were staying in that one area. And God allows persecution to come in to drive them out, remember? As the geographical barrier is broken by God allowing Satan to destroy. Barrier confronted, barrier broken. Then we see today in the text social religious barriers. Jews not associating with Gentiles. God comes in and directs Peter right to a Gentile. And then, if you read the text, when Peter is there, 
with these Gentiles, there are six Jews with him. You know what those six Jews become? They become witnesses to what God does. So when Peter goes back to Jerusalem, he says, listen, if you don't believe me, ask these six brothers who were with me. They saw it too. God knew exactly what he was doing, positioning them there to see his work. Because if Peter had come into town and the Gentiles had said, oh, we got to tell you a story. The Holy Spirit fell on us. The Jews would be like, no, but we heard about it. That doesn't count. God positioned Peter and six other men to be there to see it. Why? So these barriers to the Gospel are shattered. The division between Jew and Gentile is no longer important. The Gospel can now spread. In chapter 12, we're going to see a a story about a political barrier to the gospel. As Peter is locked up, and an angel comes and springs the doors open and gets him out. As you read through the book of Acts, every barrier that's met is broken, so the gospel can keep going. That's what I want you to see today. Every time there's a barrier to the gospel, God will remove it. Because God is not the one who commanded us to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel and then sit back and say, you can't go? Well, then, you know, you did the best you could. No, God has commanded us to go and He's going to make a way for us to be able to go. The issue is not, are there barriers? The issue is, are we going to be obedient to the Because as we are there saying, God, as soon as that barrier's gotten out of the way, we're going. God says, okay. He removes that barrier for people who are being obedient. Now here's the question today. Because the barrier between Jew and Gentile is gone. But that doesn't mean there aren't still barriers to the Gospel going forward today. What barriers is God going to have to break down for you to be able to go to minister to the people in your life? Now let's get ugly for just a minute. How many of us have the barrier of pride? We don't tell others about Jesus Christ because we're afraid of what they might think of us and our pride is getting in the way of us telling them about Jesus. That's a barrier that God is going to have to break in us if we're going to be obedient. How about the barrier of selfishness. How many of us know we ought to be witnessing more about Jesus, but we're too busy with our own stuff to take time to minister to others? God's going to have to break down that barrier of selfishness in us if we're going to be obedient. Now let's take it to one more level. How many of us will have the barrier of dignity and that's keeping us from reaching out to people who are different from us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, preacher, you got to I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. What we mean is, I've got no problem they're welcome to the doors right there. 
but we're not about to take That's a problem. We are more than content to let them come to us. But God doesn't really want us to come down. And many of us, there are lots of people in our lives that we don't want them. We don't want to associate with them. We don't want people to know we hang around with people like that. Because we're afraid of what people... You were hanging around who? We're afraid of what other people think. We're afraid of the criticism we might receive. But what brings us together in Christ is not that we're all the same. What brings us together in Christ is our common faith in Jesus and our common relationship with God through Him. Not because we have the same skin color, not because we have the same economic or educational background. What unites us in Christ is Christ. And the Gospel needs to go out. And the question is, what's God got to do in your life to get those barriers broken down so you'll go? That's what God does in Peter's life. He's like, Peter, you need to broaden your understanding here of what I want. Did you catch the irony in the story? God gives him a vision and says, Peter, eat! And he's like, no God, I won't do that. Because God doesn't want me to do it. That's what he's saying. God doesn't want me to eat this unclean stuff. God's the one that's telling you to do it! And yet, how many of us will convince ourselves that God doesn't want us to go to the very people that God has told us to go to? What's God... To come down, what barrier in your life has got to be broken before you're going to go out and share the gospel? What we saw last week is that God wants us to be bridges, remember? Between the world and Christ. I want to take that image one step further this morning and then we're going to close. We're not to just be a bridge between others and Christ. We're to go Cross that bridge to them. Are you with me? It's not enough for us to stand on this side of the bridge and say, hey, if they want to come over here, that's fine. We are to be a bridge by going to them. And here's a, a simple way for you to know who God wants you to go to. Listen to me. How do I know who God wants me to take the gospel to? I'll tell you how. Who don't you want to go talk to? That's who God wants you to go to. Because if you just want to go to people like you, you want to stay comfortably on your side of the bridge with the gospel, that's cheating. The gospel is about breaking down barriers and going to people different from us. Who don't you want to go talk to? God says, that's who I want you. And our prayer this morning is, God, break down that pride in me. Break down that selfishness in me that causes me not to want to go to others. God, break my heart that my attitude is, they can just go to hell. Oh, we would never say that. We're too good Christians to say that, right? But that's exactly where our hearts is. 
our, our hearts say, I'm not taking the gospel to them. God, break my heart. That I don't want to go with the gospel to that person. That I'm willing for them to stay lost in their sins and go to hell. Because I'm not going to cross that bridge. As we pray this morning, I want you to look in your heart. Think about anybody and what they ought to be doing. Think about yourself and what you ought to be doing. What's keeping you from sharing the gospel with your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers? What excuse are you hiding behind that keeps you from telling others how they might have life in Jesus Christ? Father God, I pray in this moment that you would break down every barrier that's keeping us from sharing the gospel with those around us. God, break our hearts today that as we look back in our lives, for some of us, there's not one person that we can point to that we've led to faith in Jesus Christ. There's not one person in this room that we can look around and say, God used me to bring that person to faith in Jesus Christ. God, break our hearts that we've received the gospel, we've accepted it for ourselves, and then we just sat down and said, I'm good enough. Help us to be like Peter, willing to go to different people to spread the gospel. God, we're thankful that You've drawn us to Yourself. That You've given us that faith. Now help us to take that faith. To take that message to other people this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.